Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together for one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Well, welcome once again to Sport Faith Life. I'm Brian Bolt here with my co-host Chad Carlson, and today we are continuing our series on the fruits of the spirit in sports and the seven deadly sins in sport. We've made it roughly halfway through the fruits of the spirit and the seven deadly sins. We go back and forth, and we try to talk about uh, adaptations, connections, links um, between the fruits of the spirit mentioned in the Bible in Galatians, and also Uh, how they intersect with the life and culture of sport. This has been fun uh, to walk through this together. Challenging at times because often, as in today, it doesn't seem like there's a great link between the fruit of the spirit and sport. In fact, the links between deadly sins and sport seem a little easier. That's maybe a clue for us to sort of keep our eyes on what's happening in the world of sports. So today, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. So we're going to try to figure out exactly what gentleness means in sport. And to kick that off, Chad, I'll start by saying this one is challenging to me on its face. When you think about how gentleness is described uh, in our own life, but then going back, how gentleness is described in the Bible, it it just doesn't seem appropriate in sport. I'll give you maybe a few <laughs> examples. Uh, you know, gentleness is about, you know, some of the synonyms are things like uh, humility or even meekness. And sport doesn't seem like a place where we see humility or we even promote humility, uh, certainly not meekness. And when we think about those things, our first thought, at least my first thought, is and sort of an inward or inner uh, attitude, a way of thinking, a way of being. But it's also uh, extended to our status, maybe. And so humility may even be like taking a lower position, Um being uh, inclusive of of others in uh, in ways that we offer up a space or give up a space, uh, taking a back seat for ourselves, and that doesn't seem like sport really at all either. I'll, I was watching the U.S. Open, you know, golf, right? right. So I've got to get golf into the podcast, <laughs> and I was watching the U.S. Open. Uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a up-and-comer that actually won the U.S. Open. His name was Wyndham Clark, and you know he was going against some real heavyweights. Uh, Ricky Fowler was in there, who just won last week. Uh, Rory McIlroy, some really big names were in there. Scotty Scheffler, they were all up toward the top of the leaderboard. And this guy Wyndham Clark, who really nobody had heard of all that much to that point, was on the leaderboard uh, through. You know, the second day and then the third day, 
And then he's in the the final pairing uh, in the last on the last day, and he finds a way to prevail. He ends up winning, and all along, of course, the announcers have opportunities to tell his story. And one of the things that people talk about with Wyndham Clark is how this week he was attempting to play with moxie. He was going to play with arrogance. He was going to play with swagger. And he brought, intentionally brought, that attitude into his competition. And that was successful. Uh, not only that, it was it was sort of applauded or lauded. The idea that this is not a place. Look, sport is not a place for meekness, for gentleness. Yesterday, I was at a uh, 4th of July gathering. Um, I'm dating our podcast here. We're not supposed to do that. But <laughs> I, I was at a, a gathering among extended family, and you sit around with uh, cousins and nieces, nephews, all those sorts of things. And I sat around with a bunch of parents of young kids. And, and Chad, you have parents of, of young kids who are in the sport world right now. And to a person, they're lamenting, kind of jokingly, uh, about their children playing sports and their passiveness and in some ways their gentleness out on the court or on the field and how parents get frustrated. Come on, don't let them push you around. And so the parents complaining about the gentleness of their children in sport. I, I just don't know what to make of this yet, Chad. I'm, so I'm just going to introduce this at this point. Uh, the last thing I'll mention is there is the separation, right? This the the idea that we want gentle people outside of sport, but not in sport. In fact, we often refer to in in sports that have big people, the gentle giant, right? The person that is just a marauder on on the field, but is gentle off the field. Is that where we go? Do we go to, look, there's no place in sport? Or is there something we can find here where gentleness has a place? <laughs> Good luck is right. That was a, <laughs> that was a diatribe. Um, you know, <clears throat> without, without getting too deep right away, I will say when you started bringing up golf, I thought, okay, here we go again. You know, in some ways, the, the fact that that golf gets brought up in every one of these discussions about the fruits of the spirit means, you know, one of two things, either, either that's the only sport you really follow and that's where all your anecdotes come from, or maybe golf is actually a game that, that allows people to embody fruits of the spirit better than others. I, I, I don't know yet. I'm still on the fence maybe about that, but your story wasn't a positive one about gentleness in sport. And it's funny, um, uh, Wyndham Clark showing, you know, moxie, arrogance, like uber confidence in the world of golf. Like in my world in basketball, we would look down on that and say, yeah, that's not even, that's not even moxie, arrogance, confidence. Like in football and basketball, like we'll show you, we'll show you arrogance and, and moxie. In, in golf, mm. it just feels like it's still, even from someone that goes into it saying, I, I want to be, I need to be more arrogant. I need to be, I need to have more moxie. It still appears to be a game of gentle men, a gentle men's game. And there's something about that that I actually am, am quite quite drawn to. Um, and I'm actually excited about talking about this topic, even beyond golf, in some ways, because I see you and me as relatively gentle people. And maybe it's just my own pride that I, I, I see myself as being a gentle person. I wear that as a badge of honor. If 
if you were to line up every person in the world uh, on a spectrum from most gentle to least gentle, I would see myself as being more on the gentle side, but especially within the world of sport. And so I, there's something that's exciting to me about this, but I also don't want it to be a sign of, of my own sin of pride either, that I feel like, oh, because I'm a gentle person, I can step into a world of sport that's generally not gentle and generally hostile to, to gentleness, like your relatives as they're complaining about their kids and mine. Uh, we do the same thing in my family. But I just, I, I wonder if there's if there's something there uh, experientially that we can lean on and say, you know what, there were moments where that gentleness was, was absolutely appropriate um, and absolutely appropriate in the world of sport. So I, I don't know, but I guess I'm hoping that, that maybe that we can get, get there as a goal uh, for today. You know, what, in, in what ways is, is gentleness appropriate in, in sport? Uh, because gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit seems to always be appropriate for Christianity, right? Well, I think there's no doubt about that. And so I was being a little tongue-in-cheek <laughs> when I said, you know, it, these are yeah. separated, right? We're going to be gentle off the field, and then we're going to flip a switch and be uh, not gentle when we're competing in sport. And uh, it is uh, not true that I only pay attention to golf, but I did have a, I do make it a point to make sure that you're illuminated uh, by hearing about golf uh, on this podcast. Yeah, thank Just you. So, you know, I know I need to Thank round you, you out you. a little bit, you know, thinking about uh, only basketball. <laughs> right, here we go. Back to basketball. But anyway, so I, it's, it's clear that we have uh, lots of examples, lots of biblical examples of what doesn't seem to be expected uh, in the heroic figures of the Bible. Um, so Jesus is obviously the best example, and, and, and Jesus uh, comes in... In, in his most triumphant moment, riding on the foal of a donkey. Mm -hmm. There's, there is um, an upside-down way of viewing Jesus um, and, and sort of the triumphant hero uh, that we weren't expecting, that the Jews weren't expecting, that any of us are expecting. And it carries all the way through to, you know, the book of Revelation when... when they need someone to be able to open the scrolls, and it turns out to be a, a slaughtered lamb. Uh, so we have lots of examples of, you know, the the king that comes in to save the world comes as a as a, a baby, yeah. right? Um, and so lots of different um, upside down ways ways for us to think differently about leadership and very differently about strength. And I think that that is not the opposite of gentleness. Right. In fact, we we tend to think gentleness is weakness. And I think that that's not the biblical picture at all. In fact, the strength of Jesus uh, was overwhelming to people. It was uh, shocking, his ability to uh, lead, to challenge, to encourage, uh, and to, to really turn everything on its head in a gentle way, in a very gentle way. And so I think your goal in this to find gentleness in sport should be our goal. Where, where does this fit? Where, how does sport become a place where the, the strength of gentleness is employed? 
And I, th- I think that's a different way of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, I really like the, the example that you gave too from the Bible. And, and really maybe that that makes it clear to us that, or makes makes it clear to me that, that gentleness is really kind of the the ironic fruit of the Spirit because while we mm. think of gentleness as weakness, it's actually not that at all. And uh, I think the way it's it's used when listed as a fruit of the Spirit is actually a sign of, of strength. In some ways, it's a sign of, um, I think maybe I'd want to explore this with some with some examples too, but I think it's a sign of inner confidence that there's something bigger going on that God is in control of. And so, you know, the examples that, that come to my mind in Scripture, the one you mentioned of Jesus riding in a donkey, you know, parading into to Jerusalem, um, the, the king being born as a, as a child in the most lowly of circumstances. In the world of sport, too, I suppose we have some great examples of, of athletes, coaches. I mean, I think specifically of John Wooden as being someone who was known, you know, the legendary UCLA basketball coach that was seen as being a very, very gentle person. Um, someone who had inner confidence that there was something greater going on. And, um, I think about the the line that his wife always shared that she never knew when he, when he showed up at home after a game, she never knew whether his team had won or lost because he was so in control of his emotions. And it seems like that's a that's an aspect of gentleness that is, you know, being sort of, um, I don't like the phrase mild manner because it comes across as like like meek and and lacking any zeal. But I think one's ability to control one's emotions is is part of what gentleness is all about, or control the emotions of those around them. And in the world of sport, so often our emotions get get the best of us. And that's probably the um, you know underlying the lamentation that some of your relatives shared with you yesterday about their children not being you know being too gentle in sport and I, I feel the same way when my wife and I talk about our kids but I think that's it is that is that's when we're lacking gentleness is our inability to to rise above to have the inner inner confidence to rise above what is going on to see sort of the bigger picture and, and that requires a great deal of patience of course and, and other things as well yeah I love the way you brought that around to what you describe as an inner confidence, which I think when you think about a person in confrontation, whatever that confrontation is, maybe it's a verbal confrontation, maybe it's an academic one, maybe it's on the field of play. The person who uh, maintains control, the person that uh, is able to respond in a measured way is the person you often attribute the the most ability to, right? You're saying that that person is really in control of this moment. That person really has the confidence to wait, the confidence to listen, the confidence to let certain things happen, whether it be uh, success or failure in sport, recognizing the bigger picture, recognizing, and it may even be not just the bigger picture of, you know, there's life beyond sport, it might be confidence within the sport itself. The ability to see there's a there's a long game going on here, uh, there's going to be ebb and flow. Uh, my approach to this, my approach to others, my approach to my teammates, to referees, to, to, to coaches, to opponents is a measured approach. It's a gentle approach, one that shows that I have a deep level of confidence, a deep level of what what can happen. I think it does go beyond the field as well. So that confidence is, you know, in sport, this is not the end of the world. Should we not prevail, right? This this always has to be 
something that you understand. You may work with incredible zeal to keep that from happening, still recognizing that it may happen. And if it does happen, it'll be like before, where there's an opportunity to pick up and do it all over again in another moment. And so I do think that there's something to this idea of inner competence that we're trying to build in people uh, or uh, have the spirit build in people that um, that does feel almost otherworldly, almost outside of the realm. And that gentleness is one that Jesus showed all the time, uh, confronting uh, very harsh criticism from uh, folks around him, dealing with factions of people all in the same in his vicinity, uh, and somehow being able to capture the entire crowd with uh, unexpected um, conversations, unexpected actions that showed his strength, but doing it in an exceptionally gentle way. And so I do think in sport there is space for that. What if, Chad, a person doesn't have the confidence of that space? What if the reason they don't have the confidence is they actually don't have the ability we see this all the time, right? They, a person doesn't have the ability to sort of match up to a circumstance, uh, to an opponent at a certain time. And that's when we see the frustration. That's when we see the anger. Um, I think one of the things that comes out often that is uh, a revelation of a lack of gentleness is defensiveness, right? Um, really blaming of others, those sorts of things. How, how do we handle that? Because that's going to be the circumstance a lot. I can imagine the great player, uh, Steph Curry, seems to play with a lot of confidence um, and in some ways a gentleness on, on the court, um, but he's also the best player out there. Not everyone can be the best player. Uh, so how do you deal with this at, at a youth level? What would you say uh we could we could do to to help the young athlete yeah. the that's yeah, been that's been my my existential question the last three months while I coached <laughs> my son's little league baseball team <laughs> yeah oh you know we just I was actually really proud I, I don't consider I, I was proud of my son in, in our last little league game two weeks ago he had thrown a ball to a teammate at third base to try to get a kid out. And he just, he just chucked it in there. I mean, it was, it was on a frozen rope and the kid had his glove up, but somehow missed it and it hit the kid right in the nose. And there's just blood that went everywhere. And, um, it was an older kid on the team. So, you know, my son's generally a little bit shyer around older kids, but after that happened, once, you know, the blood stopped flowing and, and the kid was sitting on the bench, my son did go over to him and sort of, you know, asked how he was doing and sat with him for a little bit. And so he showed some gentleness in the midst of, you know, this big tournament game. And so we really appreciated that. But I think more to, you know, to, that there, are, there are small things that we can do, I think, to encourage kids to see that there's something bigger going on like like that, right? It's actually probably more important for a young person's development that they learn how to become a good teammate rather than learning how to become a good a good batter or a good pitcher or a good fielder, right? In the grand scheme of things, that's probably what what's more important in, in youth sport. And so we try to find moments as 
as coaches, my co-coaches and I, to, to point out certain things like, uh, we, we really appreciate how you did this. You did a great job of that. And actually the rec department that our little league runs through has at times, get, um, you know, allowed coaches to give out character awards to kids, which shows that, hey, you know, you're, you're doing great things, even if you're not a skilled player, uh, whatever. I, I know that there's, there's some shallowness to that. One of the things that I th- think is important that I try to do as a youth sport coach is uh, to exemplify gentleness through patience. That is giving kids opportunities to be able to uh, grow in their skills, to grow in who they are, in their character. Um, and, and I see so many coaches in the world of youth sport that are um, my opponents, right? I'm coaching against them. So many of them that are like harping on every little thing. And, you know, this is what we practice and this is what we do. And we're going to try to win. And here's how you win by being really good in these ways or those ways. And I guess I've tried to be a little bit different by by not trying to pigeonhole kids into particular positions too early and not trying to overcoach by allowing kids opportunity to grow and to experience things that might actually hurt our team in in the short term, right? It might actually we might actually lose more games because of that. But I'm trying to take a more long-sighted approach that this is about kids' development, both in character and in their skills. And so that requires a lot of gentleness. And I think seeing things a little bit differently because oftentimes, you know, I'll um, we'll be done with a game and we'll have lost, and I'll hear from friends or relatives who are there, oh, geez, this kid just couldn't do it. You know, this kid just wasn't up to the task. And yep, maybe they weren't, but this was also maybe their first experience doing something like this. And so I want to give them an opportunity and and it requires strength on my part to be able to explain to other parents and to my relatives who, you know, came to the game wanting to win and and my son especially who wanted to win to say, you know what, Um, this person deserves a chance. And I was going to be there with them. I was going to walk alongside them, but I wasn't going to get angry when they weren't throwing strikes or, you know, whatever else. I'm trying to show some gentleness that I think takes that long-sighted approach. And I'm trying to have a confidence that it will all work out, even if in the short term, right after the game, especially when we lose, you know, there's all kinds of emotional chaos sometimes among the kids. Why did we do this? Why did we do that? Why don't we do this or do that? Well, I'm seeing something bigger than you are. And, and I try to relay that to the kids, oftentimes not successfully, but that's, that's I think, where I'm trying to bring in some gentleness. And maybe that's part of my the pride that I have in thinking, you know what, I think I know sports a little bit better than most people. So when I'm coaching young kids, I think I, can, I, think I have an inner confidence in something bigger that's going on. Now, I can fall towards pride very easily, but that's where I'm trying to show gentleness. No, and I really appreciate that story. I think ex- you're exactly right that... Um, the knee-jerk response to situations like that from coaches, from parents, and so on is that more is better and that the sort of the adult model is uh, what we're all striving for. Or and, and the truth is, you know, if you watch Major League Baseball right now, uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of failure. There's a lot of second chances. There's a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, it's shocking how often, you know, when I, I follow a team and, and that team, you know, a guy will go over five and leave a bunch of, you know, batters, uh, runners on the bases. And it's just, uh, a lot of poor performance over and over again, right. Cause the other team's playing too. And so, uh, a larger perspective on that is even that, you know, 
what you think you're doing in exhorting a child to do something is probably at most neutral, maybe maybe even counterproductive in terms of what you're trying to get out of them and the, and the sort of verbal uh, exhortations to be better, to get better, um, are bouncing off them. What children need are opportunities, opportunities uh, in appropriate spaces to have some success uh, and to develop. And as a coach, you know that, but that doesn't mean everyone around you sees it that way. And so it takes an inner strength, it takes an inner confidence, and it takes a gentleness in explaining and re-explaining this over and over again as you're working people through the process of sport, uh, particularly in a little league setting. Some people have a sport background, like you. Many people don't, and you're all on the same team, right? And not just the kids, the families and so on. So without a doubt, it is a place where life is worked out in very interesting and curious ways. And I do think aspirations as a coach to be gentle uh, and to teach gentleness. Uh, in your other example with your son, I thought you would go with the idea that um, he was upset that the kid didn't catch the ball. Look, I had an opportunity. <laughs> we had an opportunity to get him out. Yeah. Uh, and uh, look, I threw yeah. it right to you. You, you got to yeah. catch that, right? Um, and uh, that can happen all the time where other people let us down in the requirements of sport and a certain a amount of forgiveness is necessary. It's, it's amazing. The culture of a team and, and I coach a team right now, the culture of a team can be lost quickly. Um, and so what you're constantly trying to do is set that culture that is one of gentleness toward one another with high expectation, high hopes, uh, because it still is uh, an, an arena of success, right? An arena where what we're trying to do, the ultimate goal of that moment is to, to win the game or be successful on the, on, the, on the winning end of whatever is happening. And so both those things are happening at the same time. And I think it's, it's uh, countercultural in many ways to bring gentleness in. Yeah. And that's the, that that's a big word. I think for, for gentleness as well is, is countercultural. It really is. And that's, that's some of Jesus's examples as well. And I, I will say to, to sort of clarify the, the story I gave um, my, my initial reaction to the kid missing the ball was, was exactly that too. Like, Oh, we would have had an out. And, and I think that was my son's initial reaction and probably most of the team, but you know, we're trying to set a culture there too. And I, I know you are as well. And so, um, I, I think there's there's ways to hold the line and and even to to tell a player like that that missed the ball like hey, you know what the, like the expectations that you would catch that one um, because we would have gotten out what do you think you could have done differently to catch it and that's such a rudimentary skill there that's, that's maybe a bad example of that but I imagine that you when you're when you're dealing with college golfers you have expectations. And, and players probably at times don't meet those expectations. I'm thinking of your last season in which I know you were, um, you know, lamenting maybe a, a bit of inconsistency. And so there were times when players weren't meeting the expectations that you had for them and that their teammates had for them. So there, there's different ways of trying to get them to reach those expectations more regularly. And so many coaches, especially in the sports I'm familiar with, which are a bit more... <clears throat> Uh, of sort of team-based sports and a bit more more uh, popular, I would say, around the the country at least, 
is that a coach would yell at somebody. Oh, you didn't meet the expectations, you know, and so you need to be punished or you need to be chastised, uh, especially in public, because I want everyone to see that I'm the coach and that I, I, I need everyone else to see that you are not meeting my expectations. And, and that's where I think we, we lose our emotions, our control of our emotions, and we lose the fact that there's a bigger picture, a, big, a bigger thing going on. So I, I'm curious how, how you deal with that with college athletes not meeting your expectations, because I don't want it to sound like because I'm gentle as a youth coach or when I'm gentle, it means that I'm also striving for mediocrity and not actually trying to win. I am trying to win. I, I want to win badly. I'm a competitive person, but I think I can be gentle while guiding players along to, to be at their best, to give us the best chance of winning. What do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. When, you know, and I've been through the whole gamut as well, coached uh, lots of different things, including Little League baseball and, and softball and all of those sorts of things. And I like, I just didn't want to leave this. I like how you identified, I would often see coaches uh, speaking to players so that they could be seen speaking to players. And that is an example of, of a, a lack of gentleness, maybe pride, uh, where you can just tell that a person is, is trying to make sure that they are, they know that they know the game of baseball, right? So somehow they're going to say something that is going to call the, the player out in that moment. And it's, a thin veneer, but it, it, it's, it happens all the time. And it's one of those things where, um, I actually am quite intentional about that type of thing with my team. So for instance, there are certain, some people will say, you know, never embarrass someone. And, and I think that that, or never shame someone, those are really good things to say. But at the same time, the idea of group accountability is uh, a useful tool and a helpful tool, and one that that um, I think is appropriate. And so sometimes I will talk about what I see on the golf course with the whole team uh, about a certain player because it's a lesson for all. And so when it's a lesson for all, this person happened to be the person that prompted this, but uh, the rest of you are going to learn from this by us talking about it collectively. And, and depending on what it is, sometimes I'll even go to the person and say, hey, I'm going to bring this up in the group and we're going to talk about this as as a team because we all have to get better at this. Uh, I also think it kind of released, it's a release valve for the player in some ways, gives them the opportunity, oh, we've, we've discussed this openly and I don't have to carry it around anymore. Uh, so I think uh, the idea of setting high expectations is... Um, I don't even use the word expectation anymore with my team. I, I, I just change it a little bit to aspiration. Like, and I'd say, you know, we're going to try really hard to win. And life will go on if we don't. But we're going to try really hard. And I just make it real simple to them. Like, um, it's, it's more fun to win. Um, but it doesn't mean our time is wasted if we don't. It means that we have a different uh, outcome, whatever that outcome is. We're still glad we've played. Like whether you win or lose, man, we're all really happy that we've played, that we that we participated, that we gave it the full effort. And so I try to keep both those things running at the same time. Uh, but in terms of performance, uh, some of those things, like calling those things out 
uh, in a group, I have found, and my team has found, actually somewhat therapeutic, somewhat helpful. We actually have a ritual. I don't want to give this away to all my other coaches, right? Competitive. But at the end of each season, we do have a roundtable where uh, uh, we will just call on a name. So, Chad Carlson, you're up. And I let the team talk. And so the team will, you know, because, you know, in a, in the sport like ours, uh, a lot of stuff is seen, but a lot less, uh, a lot of stuff is, a lot more stuff is not seen, right? You are not playing with your teammates. You're actually playing on a different hole. So only your competitors see stuff. Uh, but in practice as well, I can't be every place all the time. I can't see everything. So the, the players will talk about uh, your physical skills, like, hey, you're, uh, I, love, I love the way your short game's coming around, but you really, we got to start over with your putting. Uh, here's what you need to do. They'll talk about that, they'll, but they'll often talk about their mental approach, the decisions they make, how they handle their emotions, how they're dealing with the team. Um, and we, we just say, hey, and, and it's odd for the first-year players. They're, they're like, whoa, this is, this is kind of direct. Uh, but I let them all talk. It's usually, you know, four fifths positive. Uh, they just naturally say good things about each other, which is which is great. And then they um, they open the door for all of us to talk about. Okay, what what are you going to do to be better next time you go out? Uh, what are you going to do in the off season? And so I, I actually do like. Um, I, I think some of the things that are thrown out, like never embarrass a player, never shame a player, are just really blunt instruments when we think about the nuance of coaching uh, and there are great ways to use a team accountability um, culture to move everybody toward uh, excellence to, toward better play and and so I do that um, in I hope gentle ways so I think if if I can build on that I, I... I love those examples, and I love them because I feel like you're, you've created sort of an atmosphere where there, where there, there will be aspirations high. You're not gonna, you know, you're not giving in on any of, of the goals for the team or for the season or, or um, excellence and teaching kids that uh, your, your athletes that you know remind them that it's more fun to win. So we're gonna try to win, but you're creating a gentle space for them to be able to to share thoughts, and so um, you know to get beyond sort of cancel culture, right? Never embarrass a player, but we got to keep in mind what embarrassing is and what it isn't. And so if, if somebody mm -hmm. does something that's wrong and you want the entire team to learn from it and you bring everyone together and share that story of that person, that shouldn't be, that person shouldn't be embarrassed by that. Maybe they feel bad that they did that, but you are not, you are not shaming that person in the sense that you're not dressing them down in front of others and making that and belittling them. And instead you're, you're teaching and you're offering feedback, and you're using that example to teach others as well, so that 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 one mistake isn't sort of um, repeated, or at least that's what you hope. So I see that as being um, a gentle measure in sort of how you how you're doing it. Um, while it might be experienced by some students as being embarrassed that coach pointed out, you know, something that I I screwed up with. Um, I'm assuming that over time, as you do that again and again, you're actually forming your young men to be able to experience criticism publicly, and you're offering criticism in a healthy way that they can learn from, as opposed to an embarrassing way that they'll leave feeling shame from, uh, which which seems to me a really a really gentle pedagogical measure, uh, in the sense that you're actually you're actually in 
infusing them with with strength to be able to handle you know criticism in the future and now again I, i'm i've never been in one of these sessions with your team and so i'm assuming all of this and i'm i know you just nodded your head but when i didn't see you nodding your head i thought maybe you were you maybe you were actually you know, going more Bobby Knight than John Wooden on some of your players at times that is really dressing them down. I don't see you as the coach that does that, but maybe I'm missing something. Well, uh, I would say I have been at times for sure. <laughs> um, uh, but typically if I want to bring emotion into a moment, I've actually thought about right. it. And, and I do that intentionally, right. um, uh, maybe to wake a person. I mean, just like every other sport, there's uh, a cruise control that a player may get into. There's a uh, loathing, like a, a self kind of woe is me kind of thing that there are ways to get them up and out of that moment, particularly in the urgency of the moment. So how do I do that? And so I, it's, I'm not opposed to bringing that emotion, but what you described is essentially what mm -hmm. we do, which is create a culture where we have a relationship where um, it is anticipated that we are all going to get uh, both affirmation and encouragement to improve, right? So you're going to get affirmed for, for who you are, uh, what you've accomplished, those sorts of things, and you're going to get challenged. You're going to get uh, the, the uh, love you the way you are, and uh, we can't have you stay that way. We're going to keep moving in a certain direction. And so I think that that is what I'm paid to do in some ways. I'm, I'm paid to sort of help them pursue excellence. I actually hadn't connected the dots uh, to sort of creating a space for um, them to learn how to receive criticism. I, I actually, I, I, I'm doing this in the pursuit of good golf and, and, and a good team. But it does strike me now that often my players are so uh, not used to that. Whereas a basketball player might be more than used to it, right? So a lot of uh, high school coaches actually in golf, um, well, first of all, if they play in the summer, there is no coach. So they play in these really prestigious tournaments in the summer, but it's their parents driving them and dropping them off, right? I mean, or watching and there is no coach that watches them. So it's an entirely different sport. Um, but if they play on a team or team golf, often high school coaches are at least in the United States are, are not offering anything other than encouragement and snacks. Um, so it is an entirely different culture to come to the collegiate level and be challenged in the way that you're, you're being challenged, uh, at least at, at our, uh, school. So it, it is a new thing for them. And I have to teach them actually to do that. Uh, basketball is a, it's a much more visible sport for fans and, and so on, and for coaches interacting with players and people hearing that. Uh, and so they're very used to public um, exhortations, if you want to <laughs> call kind, it that. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's a, it's an interesting culture too, isn't it? How would you say a, uh, 11th 12th grade basketball athlete differs from an 11th 12th grade golf athlete in your experience yeah there's definitely uh, you know a lot of acculturation going on depending on the sport that you play and and i think the you know the nature of the sport of basketball is that there there is an immediate feedback loop available in a way that there just isn't in golf because of the the geography the space that you can't cover as a coach that nobody can cover nobody's seen the entire 
the entire event all at one time going on. So I think sometimes when there's when there's a, a gap in the feedback loop that in terms of the timing of it, we have to wait. That helps in terms of you know how we how we present feedback to, to athletes as as parents or as coaches. And whereas in, in basketball, you know, you see everybody, everybody sees everything going on at once. And so, you know, you're yelling right away and there's there's things going on in the moment. You know, you you, you have to yell in, in the moment. And even even baseball has this this unique, you know, between every pitch, between every batter, there's time, there's opportunities for feedback, and and that works to the benefit of the sport in terms of offering feedback to the athletes, but it also works to the detriment of the athlete as well because that offers a time then to chew out the athlete when you are so, you know, the kid missed the ball, darn it all, how did they do that? And I'm yelling at the kid immediately because there is time to do that, you know, um, basketball doesn't offer quite as much time there, but it's just a space where you see everybody's emotions. I mean, all of that is there and it's all so imminent. So I think there's there's absolutely an expectation from athletes um, in terms of how they're going to receive feedback. And um, I actually think, like in my experiences, being around college basketball programs, we get a lot of a lot of college basketball players that that came to us when I was on coaching staffs at Hope or other places. When they received gentle, more gentle feedback, I think they they really appreciated it because it had been so different than so much of what they had received from different coaches growing up. Because that's just kind of it is a little bit countercultural, um, you know, a, a more gentle type of affirmation. And of course, that happens early on. And the more the kid does the same thing wrong again, the less gentle that our you know, coaching staffs would be with them. Of course, but um, I think to to have the expectation that that we're being corrected and it's for our own good and that we're also being sort of molded as young men and transformed. I, I think that the uh, the expectation wasn't that that was going to be done in a gentle way. And so to experience that was countercultural. And um, there's something about about basketball that I think, I don't know how we've gone away from that, not to get too philosophical about basketball, but John Wooden is, is the sort of example par excellence. And you couldn't find a coach or a person more gentle as a coach than him. I think we went through the John Wooden era and then we went through the Bobby Knight era yeah. and things changed a bit. Right. And there are a lot of uh, folks that are on the, the one of those poles or the other. Uh, but both are certainly accepted in the world of basketball. Uh, and it is interesting. Uh, the feedback loop is quick and immediate. And uh, I'd say it's a rare sport that way that everything is right in front of the coach as much mm -hmm. as that is. Um, it's really interesting. Hey, we, I appreciate you closing the loop there. We brought gentleness back into the conversation. We started to get a little wayward there, but that was a fun conversation. We uh, talked a little bit about uh, how gentleness and uh, weakness are not the same thing. I would also add directness. Uh, Jesus was not indirect. Uh, he was not, he did not shy away and, and he answered every question, unless he was trying to make a point. If you don't answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours, but he, uh, he engaged and was quite direct. And so the, the gentle person is not the withdrawing person. And, uh, I think that can help us as well in sport. We've come a long way that we, uh, uh, have moved through a lot of fruits of the spirit gentleness uh, I think we could go on for another couple hours here but we're going to call this one to an end 
Chad, thanks for being a part of it. And thanks for to all of you to, for listening to Sport Faith Life. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life podcast, conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, and life.